Chapter 5 of Ebenezer's Casket by John Ulrich Giese and Junius B. Smith. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Ben Tucker. Chapter 5 Arranged? The nurse's eyes went wide. She sat with her pencil poised above the paper on her knee while she regarded Ebenezer in an almost horrified way. Presently her bust rose and fell again slowly. A contraction ran up and down the rounded pillar of her throat. Her lips parted. "'Really, Mr. Clay,' she began in uncertain fashion. "'You see,' Ebenezer interrupted, "'I thought I might as well attend to it myself, and then I'd be sure what was done with my remains, instead of just lying down and leaving it to other folks. So I fixed it with Lynn this afternoon before I come up here, and I told him he could come and get me any time after one minute past eleven o'clock p.m.' "'I see,' the woman nodded. Just what she saw she didn't mention, but it seemed to be something that threw her into a state of incipient panic, whatever it was. To Ebenezer it seemed that she had grown a little bit pale as she jumped up rather than rose. "'I'll send in one of the doctors,' she said, moving toward the door. "'You lie quiet until you see him, won't you?' Ebenezer bobbed his head. Her actions filled him with a fresh disgust. Armistead wasn't so bad, or the lawyer, but undertakers, nurses, surely they ought to be accustomed to the thought of death. So he didn't even trouble to put his acquiescence into words. He had thought her a sensible person at first, and now it would seem that she simply hadn't understood. He closed his eyes and relaxed upon the pillow. The door opened and closed, and he knew she had disappeared. But he didn't open his eyes, he simply lay there letting the minutes slip irretrievably away, dully conscious of the muffled sounds of footfalls of tinkling bells that drifted in from the hall. And then his door opened again to admit the little nurse who had entered before he was undressed, but she came in quietly now, rather than bounced. On tiptoe as it seemed, so silent was her progress, she approached the bed, encountering Ebenezer's watching glance, and paused, then smiled. "'You're quite all right, aren't you, Mr. Clay?' she inquired. "'Of course,' said Ebenezer. "'Miss Winslow sent me to stay with you,' the girl explained. "'She said—she said—' "'That I was going to die tonight?' All at once it came to Ebenezer that the little nurse was scared, that she was scared stiff of him. She nodded slightly. "'Yes, at—at—' "'One minute after eleven. "'Yes, Mr. Clay.' "'Well,' said Ebenezer, "'don't you care, little girl.' All at once he felt he liked her. "'Folks are dying around here right along, aren't they?' She nodded again. "'Oh, yes, but I think you upset Miss Winslow by mentioning the time.' "'Sit down,' said Ebenezer. "'I upset her all right, I guess. She got out of here like we'd been talking about her funeral instead of mine.' Once more the door opened and two men came in. They were young men, clad in white trousers and coats, and they carried a variety of things Ebenezer had never seen. Also, they carried an air of importance as they gave their various burdens into the little nurse's hands. Ebenezer eyed them. He felt annoyed, just as he was about to have a visit with the brown-haired, blue-eyed girl. They appeared. He had thought he could come here and lie down and die in peace, and thus far this hospital was the least restful place he had ever known in his life. 
For a moment, the two men spoke with the nurse in lowered tones, and then the more important appearing of the two approached the bed and stood looking down at Ebenezer. "'Well, well, old man,' he said in brusquely friendly fashion. "'What's wrong?' Ebenezer tried to make the best of the situation. Miss Winslow had said she would send him a doctor, and doubtless here were two of them. "'I don't know, Doc,' he accordingly shaped his answer. "'All I know is that I ain't going to last long.' Well, what's the stuff you were pulling about 11.01 p.m.? That's my time, Doc, said Ebenezer. If it is, said the intern, grinning, you're cutting it mighty fine. He reached down and threw back the covering from Ebenezer's chest, turned and took a bit of hard rubber and a small soft rubber hammer from the nurse's hands. Laying the bit of rubber on Ebenezer's breast, he began tapping it with the hammer very much as Ebenezer himself was wont to tap finishing nails except that there were no nails employed in this operation, of course. But as the doctor hammered, he cocked his ear to the resulting sounds. His companion came to the bedside and listened also. Ebenezer found that he was listening, too, after a time. Tap, 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 tap. Over and over, all over his breast and up and down his sides. And then they turned him over and began hammering on his back. A sort of deeply muffled note resulted from the process. Tap, 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 tap. "'Say, Doc, ain't I about beat tender?' Ebenezer questioned after a time. The intern removed his rubber disc and let him turn upon his back. He faced his fellow. "'Make anything out of it?' he suggested. The other man shook his head. "'Not a thing.' "'Ahem,' said the senior intern, reached into his pocket and produced a bell-shaped device equipped with rubber tubes which he inserted into his ears before he resumed his inquisitive attack on Ebenezer's chest.' The junior joined him with another instrument and began working on the other side. Ebenezer watched them moving their little rubber bells about for a time, then spoke again. I say, Doc, there ain't anything the matter with my lungs. The senior looked at the junior. Find anything? he inquired. And the junior shook his head. Not a thing. There ain't, said Ebenezer. I was to a doctor a month ago. Try the heart suggested the senior and bent again to his task. Presently, he straightened and sighed. Strong as a horse, I think we'd better take a sample of his blood. Ebenezer lifted his voice. The calm, almost impersonal manner of these white-clad men of science filled him with something like a sense of resentment. They treated him like a man of wood. They paid no attention to what he said. See here, he burst out. If my heart's all right, there ain't anything the matter with me, I guess. Or, if there is, you don't seem to be able to find it. I come here to die, and I'd like to do it in peace. You came here to die, did you? Well, what are you going to die of? The senior intern questioned, taking notice of what Ebenezer said at last. I don't know. I ain't a doctor. Ebenezer flared. Then, what's the notion? The intern's intonation was rather crisp. How do you know you're going to die, if there's nothing the matter with you? When a man knows a thing, he knows it, don't he? said Ebenezer in somewhat wary fashion. The intern nodded. He looked at his junior. A meaning glance passed between them. All right, Miss Coombs, he said to the little nurse. We'll take a little blood and make a test. Ebenezer sighed. This was going beyond anything of which he had ever dreamed. But in a way, dimly, he knew it was useless to resist. He watched in helpless fashion while the little nurse produced a number of things. 
He lay supine while the senior intern approached. He went slightly as he bent and laid hold of the lobe of his ear and scratched it and drew a drop of blood into a small glass pipette. And he smiled rather wanly as the little nurse dabbed the scratch into his ear with a bit of cotton and asked him softly if it hurt. He listened while the two men spoke to her in lowered accents, and when they went out of the room together he drew a sigh of relief, even though he had a premonition that they would be back. Thereafter a number of things occurred. The little nurse gave him a bath. He explained that he didn't need it, but it did no good. She explained that it was one of the rules Ebenezer submitted. He began to feel that he would have been wise had he elected to die almost anywhere else. He had thought of a hospital as a place of peace and restful quiet. He hadn't looked for all this fuss. Still, the little nurse was very pleasant, and he would have enjoyed talking to her if she hadn't kept looking at him in such a peculiar fashion while she worked. "'You don't need to think I'm crazy,' he said at last. "'Of course,' she assured him quickly and caught her breath. Judging by the form of her words, she might have meant that he was not or that he was, but Ebenezer didn't trouble about it. She was a nice little thing, and he liked her. All at once he remembered that he had a few dollars left aside from his vanished roll of bills. "'See here,' he said. "'Would you mind getting me my pants?' "'What for?' she eyed him. He shook his head. "'I ain't going to try to get up. I just want something in the pocket.' She brought them to him from the closet slowly and laid them on the bed. He thrust a hand into the pocket and dug out the loose change. "'Here,' he said, and he held it toward her. "'I won't need this any longer.' "'Why, Mr. Clay!' she drew back and eyed him. "'Take it,' he insisted. "'I like you. Tain't much, but I want you to have what there is.' "'I... I...' She took it and dropped it into a pocket on her apron. "'I'll keep it for you,' she stammered. "'We aren't allowed to...' The door opened and the two interns came in. The senior reached the bed in a stride and caught up the trousers. "'What did he take?' He turned on the little nurse in accusing fashion with the garments dangling from his hand. "'Why, why?' Suddenly Miss Coombs' expression was that of one aghast. "'Nothing!' she gasped. "'He, he said he wanted them, and I brought them to him.' The senior threw the trousers from him and spoke to his companion. "'Beat it! Get hold of a stomach tube, quick!' Ebenezer roused to the occasion as the junior intern darted from the room. "'Look here, I didn't take nothing. I wanted something in one of my pockets, and I couldn't get it myself with her in the room.' "'Shut up,' said the houseman shortly. "'I know darn well you did, and we'll find out what it was when we get that tube. I began to get wise to you all right when I didn't find anything wrong with your blood. You don't get away with it this time, my man. Not while I'm on the job. Miss Coombs, get a pitcher of water and a glass.' "'Ha! Got it? Did you?' He whirled to the junior intern who came bursting in with a length of red rubber tubing in his hand. "'But I tell you,' began Ebenezer. "'You don't need to,' snarled the senior, turning to him with the rubber tubing. "'Now open your mouth!' Ebenezer eyed the length of rubber. He asked a question. "'Do you expect me to swallow that thing?' "'You're going to swallow it before we've finished.' The intern lifted the tip of the tube and held it before Ebenezer's face. "'Come on now, open your mouth!' That tip was at least three-quarters of an inch across. The idea was sufficient. "'I can't,' said Ebenezer rather sickly. Ah. "'Here,' said the man with the tube to his companion. "'You hold him. Now see here, Clay. No more fooling. Ready, Miss Coombs, with the water? Now, Clay, take the tip of this tube in your mouth and take a drink and swallow. Come on. You might as well do it first as last.' 
Ebenezer turned appealing eyes toward the little nurse who stood with a pitcher and glass in her hand. He wasn't a boa constrictor or any other sort of snake, and he knew that trying to swallow that yard of red rubber was going to make him sick. But as she met his glance, her soft lips parted. Please, Mr. Clay, she said. They think I let you take something, and we've got to prove they've made a mistake. The appeal of woman. Ebenezer set his jaws and then relaxed them again. He sat up in bed. He'd, he'd do it for her sake. He'd got her into this by trying to give her a little sign of his personal appreciation, and he had to get her out again, of course. He grabbed the tube and thrust it into his mouth. He took the glass of water she held toward him and tried to swallow the combination and choked and began coughing while the junior intern pounded him on the back. Thereafter followed an interval of physical discomfort more acute than any of which Ebenezer had ever before been able to think he tried to swallow that massive bit of tubing. He choked and gagged. In the end, when the cold sweat of nausea dewed his forehead, the senior intern grabbed the thing and literally thrust it down his throat. And it stuck. No matter how hard Ebenezer gagged, he couldn't get it out because the junior intern held his hands, and Miss Coombs was holding yet another glass of water before him and begging him to drink. He took the water, he swallowed. The tube slid down. With something like a whirling fascination, Ebenezer watched it disappearing. The impossible was being accomplished. Pallid and shaking, he sat dizzily on the bed with the thing hanging out from between his jaws. But his brain seemed swirling in the room, and all it held was going round and round. And the senior intern was pouring more water into the funnel-shaped outer end of the tube, letting it run out again, was catching the escaping fluid in a basin Miss Coombs was holding in her hands. He turned his blearing eyes upon her. He thought she smiled in grateful fashion, but he couldn't be certain about it. He couldn't be certain of anything. The tube in his throat was choking him slowly but surely. He swallowed and swallowed again. Waves of deathly nausea assailed him. He felt strangely, appallingly weak. And then suddenly the tube was sliding out from between his teeth. It was gone. He sank back on his pillow with a gasping breath. Half-consciously, he watched the interns leave the room, knew that he and the little nurse were alone. But it didn't matter. Nothing mattered any longer except that, strive as he would to choke back the spasms of nausea that engulfed him, they were strangling his breath. Exhaustion and the languor of it laid hold upon him. His very eyelids felt heavy. He let them droop and then forced them open again. What time is it, Miss Combs? He questioned faintly. Nearly eleven, said the little nurse. Nearly eleven? All at once Ebenezer understood. That was why he felt so terribly weak. How near? He managed in a gasp of comprehension. Five minutes too, Mr. Clay. Try and get a little sleep. I'm sorry you're so sick. Five minutes too. Six minutes. Ebenezer stretched himself out in bed. It wasn't the tube that had made him feel as he did. It was just fate. He closed his eyes. He drew up his hands and crossed them over his breast. He began breathing deeply. End of chapter 5